0: Good morning. morning. I want to say how uh, insignificant I feel to be up here. I can relate to Moses as we study Moses today. And in in Exodus chapter four, Uh, we will see that Moses is uh, quite the same as you and I. And uh, when it comes to God calling him to do a certain task. We'll see today, and I guess I could start by saying my name is Doug Gifford. I am one of the elders here uh, and, uh, and honored to be such. And, uh, but in Exodus chapter 3, as Tim so well put last week, is really where this story begins. And what we'll see today, and you may have even used this phrase, I uh, had a burning bush experience. And, uh, That's not quite the same as what Moses had experienced. So we kind of see maybe ourselves in this, and we will today as well. So as we look at it as kind of a a way of review um, in the introduction before I ask you to stand, um, there's some major themes in chapter 3 that uh, Pastor Tim talked about last week. First thing uh, in, in chapter three of Exodus, you'll see that Moses and God are having dialogue through a burning bush, verses three and four. We, we um, will not read that this morning, of course, because we know the story. And uh, so we see that there's dialogue going on, back and forth. In verses seven through 10, God reveals his plan to Moses. He told Moses that he was, that he has seen the affliction of his people and that he has come down to deliver his people from bondage to a land flowing with milk and honey. And God told Moses that he would send him to Pharaoh and use him to do this task, to let his people go. If you remember last week, uh, Pastor Tim did a wonderful job at showing us what God says about himself. In fact, in verses 14 and 15, he said, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Tim also used the analogy of uh, a scale of the earth and the sun, if you'll remember. Uh, how if the earth was a grain of sand, the sun would be about the size of a cue ball. And they would be about 20 feet apart. And then he expanded on that. He went kind of nuts, if you would, and kind of crazy on that. And, and it, but it put a good, uh, I guess, word picture in our mind of how great God is. And God is the I am, he is the glorious one, he is the one, he's the God above all gods. And uh, uh, so, you know, and, and uh, so today, we'll see how Moses sees himself. Last week, and I'm gonna use the air quotes. God's, uh, we've seen what God says about himself, Today, we're going to see how Moses sees himself. So if the earth was a grain of sand, then it would be feasible to say that according to the response of Moses, that he would believe himself to be a microcosm on that same grain of sand. In other words, very minute, very, very insignificant. And today we'll see that we are not any different than Moses when it comes to making excuses. We do a pretty good job of it and Moses of course was no different. Today we're going to see these four different things and I'm going to do them in reverse. We're going to see four excuses made by Moses in regards to why he can't be the leader of Israel. We're going to see three miracles that God gives Moses to show he has been with him. We're going to see two people that will help Moses succeed in the calling of God and all for one particular quest. And that quest would use, uh, would, would, and God, that God would use Moses to get his people out of Egypt and from the bonds of slavery. Therefore, you'll see the title of this morning's message is ready, set, go. These four things will act as a guideline and not necessarily an outline today due to, uh, Uh, But before we get into the message, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read chapter 4. We will read verses 1 through 17, and then we'll skip down to 27 and read to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, uh, put your hand out and catch it by its tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand again. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you again. The Lord said to him, put it, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water that you shall take from it uh, will become blood on dry land. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well behold he is coming out to meet you and when he sees you he will be glad in his heart and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and taking your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. Let's get down to 27 if you would. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all these words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed and when they heard that the lord had visited the people of israel and that he had seen their affliction they bowed their heads and worshiped heavenly father we come to you praying that you would move me aside get me out of the way that these words that are spoken this morning would be from you from thus saith the word of god lord as we focus on uh, your scripture help us not to focus on the excuses that Moses had, but help us to mainly focus on your response, Lord, you're a good, caring and compassionate God. You hear our prayers, you hear our excuses, and Lord, uh, you know our reasons as too. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, four excuses made by Moses in regards to why he can't be the leader of Israel. Shortly after God told Moses what his plan was for him in in chapter three, verses seven through 10, Moses starts telling God why he can't do what he's said that he needs him to do. With every excuse, however, God graciously gave him a response that he would be with him and provide for him. We look at the excuses by Moses and the response by God. In order to do that, we have to go back to chapter three. Look at chapter three, verse 11 with me chapter 3 verse 11 says this but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt let's stop right there for a second who am I who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt in essence Moses is telling God that he feels inadequate that he's a nobody. He doesn't have the credentials to do such a task. And if you remember going back in Moses' life, um, right now he's 80 years old. His first 40 years he spent as a prince of Egypt with all the pomp and circumstance that goes on along with that. His next 40 years he spends in the wilderness of Median as a shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep, but now he's 80 years old. He has a wife and two boys and is feeling pretty uh, unqualified in what God is wanting him to do. He probably wasn't too liked by the Israelites as well. And he he may have been experiencing a defeatist attitude. He also didn't have a warrior's mentality. At one time he did. At one time, you remember, he came out and he seen an Egyptian whipping up on an Israelite and he went over and, of course, you know the story from there. So at one time he had a a warrior mentality, but that warrior mentality has been gone probably for 40 years. He also didn't have, I'm sorry, but much less he didn't have the reputation at this time for that as well. So look at the, the response of God. Verse 12, he comes along and God said, and he said, but, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain God's promised Moses that he would be with him and the proof or sign would be that when they leave Egypt they would come back and do uh, come back to that same mountain Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai and they would uh, they w- they would be called out of life of bondage to a life of worship worshiping the one true god yahweh we're called out of but uh, we're called out at salvation to do the same thing we're called out of a life of sin and uh, to serve and worship a one true living god and uh, so again parallel with us this promise is prominent throughout the bible God promised to be with all those that he's asked to do great things for him. We think of men like uh, Joseph and uh, Joshua, David, Gideon, and others, including the disciples. And in fact, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we call the Great Commission, in the very last phrase of that, he says this, he says, and behold, I am with you always to to the end of age. So the second excuse comes immediately following in verse 13, verse 13 says, and then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And we know from what pastor Tim said, God said, I am. Just tell them I am has sent you. Moses is saying here that he's not smart enough. He doesn't even know the name of God, which might come in handy, especially because when he's going to the Israelite elders, he can't just tell them that he had heard a voice from a bush and that was burning, but it wasn't being burned up. Also, the Egyptians were big on naming their many pagan gods as well. So the name would be important. God's response was one that would resonate throughout all eternity. Verse 14, God says, tell them I am has sent you. And because of Pastor Tim and and the way he expounded on it last week, we won't get into much of that. All we really need to know is God told Moses, Moses, you don't need anything else. I am is all you need. The the third excuse comes in today's text, verse 1 of chapter 4. He says this, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses is saying, I have no effect on them, and the people won't listen. We can see ourselves in that. One of the signs of having a low opinion of God is is to not believe what God is saying he will do. This is what Moses was saying without saying it. An example of this for us is to know what scripture is telling us to do, but not do it because we don't believe there will be any results of it. Look at God's answer. He answers Moses with three signs. And these signs show God's power over creation, his power over people, and his power over the elements. Verses two through nine. He says this, the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it by the tail. And it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, of God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored to him, the rest of the flesh, as the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, though, listen to your voice. You shall take some water from the Nile and put it on the dry land and the water that will, that you shall take from the Nile, it will become blood on the dry land. So let's look at these three miracles real quick. The first miracle or sign is over creation. God's power over creation. God tells Moses to throw the staff he has in his hand down on the ground. The staff is a common tool of the shepherd. It is, the, it is for the shepherd to use to guide the sheep as they travel looking for new pastures. Some shepherds carry a staff in one hand and a rod in the other. The staff symbolizes guidance and was a long pole with a hook at the end, you've seen them. It, 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 would, it would be used to help get a sheep out of trouble and sheeps got in trouble all the time. Wonder why we're called sheep. In fact, that hook would be to, 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 to grab the, the sheep by the of the neck or by a leg or something if he fell off a cliff or whatever. That was the, what the staff was used for. The, the rod symbolizes protection, and it was shorter, about the length of a cane, if you would, but bigger around. Now, visualize it almost like a bat, uh, a bigger around, and it was used to fight off predators as the shepherd protected the sheep. It's what David used to fight off the lion and a bear in 1 Samuel 17. And that's why David could write with bold confidence in Psalms 23:4, verse four, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and staff that comfort me. When Moses threw his staff on the ground, it became a snake. Many believe that it became a cobra, one of the deadliest snakes on earth, and one that was very popular in the land. I don't know if you've ever caught a snake or had the privilege of snake hunt. I know Claxton up there, they have a rattlesnake hunt every year. I don't know if they still do it or not. But when we were kids, uh, yes, I do have a snake story. When we were kids, we, uh, we would go over to my granny's house. And she lived in Borger, Texas, which was a little petroleum town. And then in the back of her house was a canyon. Me and my brother and my two cousins that lived with granny at the time would go back there. And we had a five gallon bucket, especially for this project. And we would go back there and we would start flipping rocks and we'd, we'd catch snakes. But these were not cobras. These were these little green grass snakes you might have ran across them in your backyard as you're mowing the grass. That's what that was. One of the worst times of trouble that we got into was we were so proud of ourselves because we almost filled this bucket full of snakes. In fact, we had to work to keep them inside the bucket. and We ran back to Granny's house and we ran them inside the house and we looked Granny, look what we did. We got a whole bucket of snakes. Well, needless to say, she wasn't quite as pleased as we were with our efforts. And so, you know, the, uh, of course, we would always go turn them loose. We wouldn't kill them. We would go turn them loose. So anyway, that's my snake story. Whatever kind of snake this was, though, one thing's for sure that it was no... Uh, that no one catches a snake by the tail. As we caught, you would learn real fast you don't catch a snake by the tail, but that's what God told Moses to do. Another thing is that if it was a grass snake, it would not have had the same effect, right? Moses wouldn't jump back as he did for a grass snake and the staff would go on, and the staff would go on to be a sign of God's presence and authority. The second thing was God's power over people. And that was demonstrated by Moses' own hand and not the staff. God said to him, put your hand in your cloak and when he pulled it out, it was leprous, verse four. And when he put it back in and uh, and took it out again, it was normal. That would serve as a lesson of humility for Moses. So it wasn't all about the staff, it was all about God. God's power over elements was the third thing that we see in the sign or the miracle. And it would be demonstrated by the water being poured out over dry land, verse 9. This third sign would be a sign of the plagues that were to come. And we know that it did come. Verses 10 through 12 is the fourth excuse of God's response. And it's probably the one that Moses had the legit excuse over look at 10 through 12 with me he said but moses said to the lord oh my lord i am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but i am slow of speech and of tongue i'm slow of speech and of tongue the fourth excuse uh, many commentators thought that uh, he might have a a stutter or uh, trouble putting words together Or maybe he suffered from stage fright. I read that, I don't know if you know this, but John Piper experienced extreme stage fright when he was in college. And that was one thing that he had to overcome uh, was the stage fright. Whatever the issue he had, whether it was psychological or physical, he felt that he lacked the communication skills needed to carry out what God needed him to do. We're no different. We often focus on our inabilities instead of our abilities. We often focus on our inabilities instead of our abilities. Paul wrote to this matter in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 when he said, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything are coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Look at God's response. verse 11 and 12. He says this, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. We see as Moses, uh, we we as Moses tend to focus on the I-can'ts of life instead of the I-cans of life. God says, you do it and I'll be with you no matter what. Moses did not think of himself as the best of Oriators. He felt insufficient to perform such a task by himself. And honestly, I personally suffer from this fourth excuse myself. but I was reminded that even the Apostle Paul suffered from this excuse when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he said this, and I And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Like Moses, we forget how Scripture always speaks of God using the weak to profound the wise. Time and time again, we see examples of weakness that were turned into greatness because God used that person in spite of the, their weakness. Uh, we think of people like Paul. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 of a thorn in the flesh that was never taken away. But, it but he goes on to say, but he was made stronger because of it. People like Fanny Crosby who was born in March of 1820 and died at the age of 94 in 1915. She was known as the queen of gospel songwriters. She wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs, 8,000, where there had been over 100 million copies printed. Most all American hymnals contain their work, contain her work, I'm sorry, hymns like Blessed Assurance, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Rescue the Perishing, and To God Be the Glory. She wrote so many hymns that most publishers didn't want to put them all in her hymnal under one name. So she used over 200 different synonyms during her life. So you don't know if you're reading her writing or, I mean, you're singing her writing or not because she used so many names. She did all this while being completely blind, completely blind. She's known to have said this about herself. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for that dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She also once said, when I get to heaven, The first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my savior. According to her biographer, Annie Willis, had not it been for her affliction, she might not have so good an education or have so great an influence and certainly not so fine a memory. You see, God doesn't necessarily need ability. He's looking for availability He will provide the ability. We should never forget that. Verse 13, some commentators call this the fifth excuse. Let me read it. This is where we're all at, if we'd be honest with ourselves. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Just send someone else. I don't wanna do it. I just don't want to do it. Some commentators call this the fifth excuse, but I tend to agree with those who say that this is the real reason for the four excuses. The truth of the matter is Moses didn't believe God and he was more concerned with what people thought about him than what God thought about him. I'm gonna repeat that. The truth of the matter is Moses didn't believe God and he was more concerned with what people thought about him than what God thought about him. We know this and we call it the fear of man. We're more worried about man's thinking of us than God's thinking of us. Proverbs 29:25 says the fear of the man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So he pleads with God to just send someone else. I'm out of excuses. I don't want to do it. In fact, I can't do it. I feel inadequate. I'm not smart enough. I will have no effect, the people won't listen. And if that wasn't enough, I have this speech issue. God had been very gracious with Moses and responded with reassurance and love through all his concerns. But in 14 through 16, God changes. Look at it with me. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? For all of our concerns and he has an answer for the concerns that uh, for the reason for the concerns in verse 17 God reminds Moses to take this staff don't forget it the staff in which you will do the signs so now it's ready set and Moses is setting on go right turn over to 18 we didn't read this well ago but I want to just briefly go through it as we finish up. Look at verses 18 through 20. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law and said to him, please let, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt, to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men uh, who were seeking your life are dead. All right. And verse 20, I'm sorry. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. All right, we're going here we go. We see Moses go back to his father-in-law and ask his permission to go back to see if his brothers, the Israelites are still alive. And of course, Jethro gives him permission, but it's strange that Moses doesn't speak of his commissioning from God to his father-in-law. Uh, they just didn't have that conversation. He just left it simple. I need to go back. I'm asking permission. His father-in-law granted it. And, uh, and we can only speculate that why he didn't tell his father-in-law, but it's a sharp contrast for the conversation that he and Aaron had in verse 28. And in verse verse 28, it says that Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. He certainly filled in Aaron, but he didn't tell his father-in-law. We can only speculate on the reason why. Verses 21 through 23, look at it with me. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that uh, that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. We see God emphasizing his promises to Moses here. As Moses steps out by faith, God reassures him that he, God, Yahweh, will be with him, and that he is not to be afraid. He would do the miracles God had provided for him. There's a statement here in 21B that will uh, permanent, I'm sorry, throughout the next few chapters of Exodus, and that is, but I will harden his heart, but I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. We will hear this statement a total of nine times from now until chapter 14. There's so much that we could say here, but for the sake of exposing the scripture properly, this issue will be addressed later as we come to them. For now, we need to notice that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and, and he's able to fully showcase his power over the enemies of his people. So even before Moses gets there, the hardening has started. God also reminds Moses to say to Pharaoh that Israel is God's firstborn son. And if Pharaoh refuses to let him go, he, Yahweh again, I am, will kill Pharaoh's firstborn son, verse 23. This of course is alluding to the plagues and especially the last one that causes Pharaoh to do as God through Moses and Aaron have commanded him to do. And then in verse 24 through 26, this one will leave you scratching your head a little bit at a lodging place on the way to the lord uh, at a lodging place on the way the lord met him met moses and sought to put him to death then zipporah that's his wife took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched moses's feet with it and said surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me so he let him alone and it was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What in the world is going on here? These verses seem to be out of place. Everything seems to be good to go, right? Ready, set, let's go. But in fact, they're on the way back to Egypt, but out of nowhere, a place of rest, God comes to kill Moses. This is an issue of discussion amongst the commentators as well. The scripture says that God came and met him and sought to kill him. Some believe that the Lord came and was about to strike him with a life ending disease. While we're not really sure he could have, God could have done what God wanted to do. We're not sure what the procedure was going to be, but we do know that whatever the issue was that God had with Moses, it was most serious. Well, it appears that Moses never circumcised his son. Again, we're not sure which son this was. Some say because it doesn't say his firstborn son, which is always a a kind of a, you know, it's out there. If it's the firstborn, you pretty much know it, Uh, that it was most probably his second son, speculation. Moses may have not known enough about the Jewish law to know that this was an issue or he just never took the time to do it whatever the case it was to be done as god co- covenanted with abraham in genesis 17 9 and 10 for lack of uh, for time's sake we won't turn there but genesis 17 9 and 10 is the covenant of circumcision his wife zipporah saw what was going on and took it upon herself to circumcise their son and that might be why it's the second son, maybe she already knew. She's from a pagan land, median. And uh, so this is not really her belief anyway, but she took it upon herself to do it, which in itself was against God's perfect will. And this is a perfect example. You see, uh, it was Moses' job to do this, but in God's permissive will, he allowed this to take place and, it turned, and, and in turn, It saved Moses' life. Some don't believe in a perfect and a permissive will, but there are are such. God's perfect will we don't always obey, but God always has a permissive will that he will allow. We don't always do exactly as God would have us do, but thanks be to God for his mercy and grace in our lives. As we strive to do God's perfect will in our life, we are so thankful for his permissive will. It's also important to note here that Zipporah was reminding her husband that they were only right with God through blood and his covenant promises. Apart from the shedding of blood, Moses was no different than the Egyptians. Likewise, we as Christians know that apart from the blood of Christ, and a new circumcised heart. We're no different than unbelievers. That's the difference. That's the believer and the unbeliever. That's the separation. You'll find that in Romans two and Romans four. Verses 27 through 31 and we'll finish up. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Verse 31. And the people believed and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Chapter four ends in a time of worship to the one and only God, Yahweh. The instructions to Moses are over. We find, as we pointed out a little bit ago, that Aaron went by the instruction of God to meet Moses and Moses told him everything that God had said to do, including the signs as well. Verse 31 is a doxology. Even before their freedom, they knew that God was worthy of worship and exaltation. They worshiped God because he had visited them and that he had seen their affliction. So in conclusion, what have we seen? We've seen four excuses that Moses had for why he couldn't do what God had commanded him to do. But more importantly than the excuses that we've seen four promises of God and God gave Moses saying, yeah, but I am, I am. He promised that he would be with Moses, that his name is, I am and that his name will be remembered throughout all generations that he will furnish Moses' signs showing that God had been with him, and that whatever physical problem that we might fight, God will provide a way to overcome it. Do you know this God? This God has come to us in Jesus, the the God-man, the one who said, I am the door, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you know Jesus Christ? If not, would you repent and believe today? We would love to talk to you today and show you what the Bible says about the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only must we know God through Christ, but we must also elevate our view of God. This is where many Christians fall short. We have to, we think too small of God. He can't do it. I can't do it. God won't do it. I can't. You will not attempt great things for God if you do not have a great vision of God. For these chapters, we see that he is holy. I'm sorry, from these chapters, we see that he is holy, he's self-sufficient, he's eternal, he's mysterious, glorious, and gracious all at the same time. We must learn and uh, we must lean into the fact that God uses weak vessels. Because of this, you can stop making excuses and start trusting his promises. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for Exodus 4. We thank you for Moses. It's so easy to see ourselves in these concerns that he had these things that, that he would bring up because he didn't believe that you were big enough. Lord, I pray that we not be that way. I pray that we as a people would be a, uh, a big God thinker that we would know for sure that whatever you put in our path, we can do. And Lord, whatever it is, it uh, doesn't matter. If you, if you open the door for us, we step through. And, Lord, I pray that that would be the case. I do pray that we would take this word, put it in our hearts, that we would not hide it, that we would share it. Lord, help us to be that light on a hill. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.